Hey, I'm so glad you're here with us this morning. So good to be in the same room with some of our grads, uh, cheering them on. Well done, guys. So proud of you. And, and we're all a, a little bit, a bit heartsick as we've been talking about, about what they've missed, but uh, we know that God just has great things in store for them. And so we're, we're really excited and we're cheering them on and we're praying for God's blessing on their lives. Well, we're in this series in Paul's letter to the Philippians. We've called this series Thrive. And in a day where it might seem like we're just kind of getting by, you know, we hear this invitation by Jesus to us in our circumstances, as they may be, to thrive in him. So let's dive in. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 11, Philippians 3, 1 through 11. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If others think they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Truly, may God bless the reading of his word. What a beautiful, uh, challenging passage. And, and just like most of Paul's letters to the early churches, Paul wants to make sure that these relatively new Christians stay on track, that they're, they're understanding the, the heart of the Christian faith. And so he wants to make it, it clear for these believers what Christianity is, and maybe more importantly, what it's not. It, it was good for them to be reminded of this, and I'd say it's good for us to be reminded of this as well. Um, we get murky on these things sometimes. There's a, a line in this passage that just stands out to me. The surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. Paul talks about literally being kind of obsessed with Jesus, you know, consumed with him, and not just adding some religion to your life, but, but like, kind of like a private hobby, but getting to the point where Jesus is your prime focus. And so he begins this chapter with words some consider to be the theme of the letter. Rejoice in the Lord. And he says, it's no trouble for me to write the same things he did again. It's a, a safeguard for you. Rejoice in the Lord. And, and it's a good thing to do that because the, the fact is, things in our lives go up and down, don't they? 
Uh, a while back, one hillside couple were describing their lives to me, and it was like uh, the, the wife would, would get a job and the husband would lose his, and, and then the husband would get a job and, and she'd lose hers. It was like sharing or something. But, but life's unpredictable. And, and isn't that kind of the theme uh, that we heard from our grads tonight, uh, the theme of this particular season right now? As, as someone once said, or recently said, Never in a million years could, I've, could I have imagined I'd go up to a bank teller wearing a mask and ask for money. We, uh, we live in a crazy day. That's why it's so good for us to rejoice in God, to rejoice in the Lord, because there's this constant in Christ. He's, he's the same yesterday, today, and, and forever. He's always on the throne knowing him, having security in him as our protector and savior and Lord. It's just huge. It's the, the one constant, and it's, it's at the root of, of Christian joy. You know, William Barclay calls it the indestructibility of Christian joy. Paul says rejoice in that. But right after that, he, the reminder to rejoice, the tone kind of changes drastically in the letter. Paul writes in verse 2, Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Basically, Paul says that we need to rejoice in the Lord and, and at the same time be watchful for those who would take our attention off of Jesus. Uh, he uses pretty strong language here. He, he calls these people dogs. And we're not talking now about sweet little puppies with sweet little puppy eyes. In those days, dogs weren't endearing pets. You know, people didn't follow behind picking up their poo. They just would, would never do that. Uh, they were despised animals, scavengers, oversized rodents. So when, when Paul refers to these dogs, he's, he's talking primarily to a group of Jewish Christians. They were called Judaizers. And, and they believed that in order for for Gentiles to come into the tribe, to come into the, the, the family of God, they needed to jump through, they needed to follow all the, the Jewish cultural laws, like their dietary laws, like, you know, no pork, no prawns. How sad. There's their special days, their, their festivals that they had, and, and for the men, something that makes me wince a little bit, circumcision. And it's ironic that Paul would call these people dogs because Jews would often call Gentiles dogs. That's how they thought of them. They thought of them as being unclean, as, as people who were beneath them. Just like in our day, there was a lot of racial division in that day. And Paul uses really strong language here because they were teaching something that, that went contrary to the, the way of Jesus, which says it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or, or Gentile, whether you're slave or free or rich or poor or male or female. Paul was saying anyone can come into to faith, in, into relationship with God through faith in Jesus. Simple as that. But these Judaizers were, were taking the focus off Jesus and his saving work and, and putting it on themselves. They're, they were putting confidence in their own flesh. Paul would go on to, to say they, they describe them as those who mutilate the flesh. And here he's talking about circumcision. Uh, circumcision is something when you, when you study the Old Testament, 
God instituted circumcision as a way for people to show their, their loyalty to God. It was a, also a sign for people to separate themselves, saying, I'm a, I'm a believer in the promises of God. I, I believe in his goodness. I, I believe he's my deliverer. Uh, Francis Chan, in talking about this, he says, circumcision was like putting on a team jersey, saying, I'm part of this team. I believe in the goodness of Yahweh. But, but circumcision was, was never meant to be a work by which you earn God's favor. It was, it was a way of saying you trusted in God, you trusted in his goodness. But, but what some were doing in Paul's time was to, to take circumcision and turn it into something to help them earn their righteousness. I suppose in our day, some people view baptism this way. And, and don't get me wrong, baptism is important. Uh, it, it's something that Jesus commanded us to do when we follow him, to be baptized. Uh, it's an act of obedience. But don't get me wrong, it's, it's not what makes you a Christian. But these, these peeps thought, if, if, if I do this, if I get circumcised, this will make God happy. And instead of them being consider, concerned really with their inner life, they were confident in their background or their behavior. Years ago, on the front page of the Vancouver Sun, it featured gangster Anton Mursing. Uh, he was convicted of being involved in the terrible slaying of the Surrey Six. Uh, the byline of the article read, it said, a killer seeks redemption. He admits roles in five killings, including one of the Surrey Six murders. But Anton Mursing says he found God, and he turned himself in to spend the next 25 years in prison so he can testify against other gangsters and maybe find peace. And from the sounds of it, Anton came from a pretty rough background. He, he, he got involved in crime at about age 14, uh, stealing cars, uh, dealing drugs, and it just kind of spiraled from there. He got, got involved in a, in a gang, and, and it sounds like his story turned into violence and murder. But the article also tells how he came to the place where, where he became fed up with that life and, and, and turned himself into the police. And part of his journey has been coming to Christ. He's quoted as saying, I've always suffered inside. Feelings of guilt that I've always tried to just push down and push away, but always to no avail. Quite profound what he said. The article reads, he found God, but is still not sure he will earn forgiveness. He says, I believe I must do all and everything in my power to do the right thing, to show and shine in light of Jesus and the grace that is from God. But he goes on to say, he says, I have much doubt and much worry as to whether God ultimately will forgive me. You know, as I first read about Anton, it's like part of me was just so excited for this brother in Christ. And we come from vastly different backgrounds, but it doesn't matter. We're now family in Jesus. That's what he is. And I can understand with this background, feeling like he has to, to make amends, you know, somehow try to make things right. But I almost felt like I wanted to write this guy and say to him, dude, you're forgiven. This isn't on you anymore. You don't have to carry this. You, you can't earn it. You, you can't ever pay your debt. Jesus has, and it's a free gift of grace. And this, this goes kind of deep. It can be kind of subtle, and, and, and it can almost see it seem a little bit noble sometimes, but when someone says, I, I can't forgive myself, 
It means that there's some standard or, or condition or person that is more central to their identity than the grace of God. Nothing else can atone for our sin than the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and, and the free gift of grace that we receive through, through faith. Paul makes this really clear in verse 9. He says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And so what Paul says to the Philippian church, he, he says to us, beware of people like that, people who say you got to earn it to get the grace of God. Like that, oh man, it's such a great film, and it blew it in the last moments. Saving Private Ryan, you know, the, the captain played by, by Tom Hanks who'd, who'd come to save Ryan, and with his dying breath, he says to Ryan, earn this, earn it. Jesus never says that. He says, receive this, receive my love. It's, it's a gift, my forgiveness. I've paid your debt. And Paul says, rejoice in that. Rejoice in the Lord, not in what you've done. And he goes on to say something interesting. He, he kind of lays out his resume, his credentials. He'd do this from time to time. And, and he says he was circumcised as a baby on the eighth day. He, he was an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin, uh, born a Jew, uh, a Hebrew of Hebrews, He'd studied. He was a, a Pharisee. That meant he was kind of like carrying a degree from Harvard or Yale. And he says, if you want to put your confidence in, in what you've done, I can do that and more. But then Paul says in verse 7 and 8 that these achievements, none of this status mean anything to me compared to knowing Jesus. Compared to, to knowing Christ, all these accomplishments are loss. He, he uses the Greek word skubala, often translated as garbage or rubbish. And folks, it's a much stronger word. It'd be a four-letter word, word to us. It, it would mean excrement or, or crap or something like that. And, and Paul says, I, I kind of add up all my accomplishments and they mean nothing to me. I count them as, as crap, as, as rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. Years ago, I was struck by a, a music video. I don't know, if, I don't think kids watch music videos anymore. I don't know. My boys certainly don't, but it was by Sinead O'Connor, profoundly gifted Irish singer, and the song was called Nothing Compares With You. It, it, it was striking because she sang the song in, in one take with the camera focused on her face, and tears just ran down her face. You knew she meant what she was, thinking, what she was singing. Nothing compares to you. Probably a song about loss or someone she loved. And this is what Paul's saying here. He says, I've, I've done a, a life assessment. I've, I've weighed my life, my stuff, my heritage, my, my achievements, and they're garbage compared to knowing Christ. All, all this righteousness that, that people have, have created for themselves, I've done that and more. I've climbed all the ladders, and I, I don't want anything to do with it anymore. I found something so much greater. Jesus, my Lord, nothing compares to him. Paul experienced what you might call a, a reversal of, of values. I, I, I don't know if you've ever had that happen. It, it happened to me when I got married. And, and then it happened again when I had kids. It, it happens to people when, when they go through a, a serious illness. And, and it happens as you come to know Jesus. Everything else gets put in the loss category compared to the, the greatness of knowing him. 
This passage really is probably an echo of what Jeremiah, the prophet, says in Jeremiah 9, which is a window kind of into the heart of God. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let those who boast boast about this, that they understand and know me. What what does God want us to brag about? Knowing him, understanding him, loving him. We're we're to boast about that if we're going to boast at all. Now, what does that mean practically? I, I mean, it means that whenever I'm called on to choose between anything in the world and Jesus, I'm I'm to choose Jesus. It means I'll I'll relate with the things of this world in ways that that draw me nearer to Jesus. It'll mean I I deal with the things of this world in ways that show that they're not my treasure, that Jesus is my treasure. It means if I lose any or all the things that, that this world can offer, I won't lose my joy or my treasure or my life because Jesus is all and I can never lose him. Now, I'd like to think that knowing Jesus in this kind of way is a reality for you and a reality for me, but, but I know there's a, a lot of competition for our hearts. There's a, a lot of mirages out there making a lot of false promises. So, so folks, how can we know? How, our hearts are, are so deceptive. How can we know if, someone, if knowing Jesus is, is kind of truly our highest value? So I want to give you some questions that you can ask yourself. And again, I, take these with you. Download the notes and, and reflect on these to discover what's really going on in your heart and, and what you really care about, what you really value. Like, first of all, what do you dream about? You know, what, what fills your mind when you have nothing else to think about? You know, a, a career or ambition, some, some treasured leisure activity, a, a relationship, now, I know occasional daydreams probably don't mean that much, but, but our dreams can, and they can sometimes reveal the longings of our hearts. What do you find yourself thinking about when you got nothing else to think about? Or where do you spend your money? Jesus says where you, your, your treasure is, there is your heart also. I mean, usually our, our money flows towards our greatest love. And if you're spending, spending, spending on yourself, all the time, probably tells you what you treasure. If you're given, if you're looking for ways to exercise compassion through your money, probably shows where your heart is. It's an acid test of faith. And then what are you afraid of losing? Because what we fear losing can reveal what we ultimately value most. Uh, it could be a, your reputation. It could be career. It could be losing someone you love. Years ago, God kind of did a number on me. I mean, uh, one of those moments where he shone a light on a part of my heart and showed me stuff, and it was hard, but it was good. And, and he did a major work of healing on me in a season. But for the longest time, I had this fear of losing my boys. Remember last Sunday, I told you uh, one of my sons had a serious accident when he was four. And it, I kind of came to the knowledge that actually bad things can happen, and I could lose my son and uh, that led to this kind of fear that I had. That, and, and so it exposed, when, when God got over time, God kind of exposed that when push came to shove, 
my boys were what mattered most to me. Another question is, what are we looking to God for? It's, it's very possible to, to come to Jesus for what he can do for us, not for Jesus himself. It's like, I'll, I'll, I'll take Jesus if he'll make me rich. I'll, I'll take Jesus if I can maintain my lifestyle. I'll, I'll take Jesus if I can hold on to some of these sins or this wrong relationship. I'll, I'll take Jesus you know, as long as I can still be in charge. The good news is, has never been, I'll, I'll come to Jesus if. The good news has always been about, I'll, I'll follow Jesus no matter what, even if, even if I lose my family, even if my, my health deteriorates, even if I lose everything I own, I, I still want Jesus because he's that, he's that great. That's the gospel. We, we found a treasure in Jesus that's so good that with joy we can say, take everything. I don't care. As Paul says, I've lost everything. It doesn't matter because there's a greatness to knowing Jesus that surpasses all that and nothing compares to him. That that leads us to this verse that, uh, man, many of us love and hate. Verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And I'm, I'm so grateful that we as Christ followers can know his resurrection power and experience that. And, but, but couldn't Paul have ended the verse there and skipped the whole suffering part? You know the saying I love, you know, actually I don't love, no pain, no gain. I really prefer the saying, no pain, no pain. I think that's my favorite. But uh, and we're tempted maybe to skip this whole part of, of, of sharing Christ's suffering, but we'd be missing out on something really good if we do that. The, the, the Greek word for share is, is koinonia. It's the same word for fellowship. could literally be translated the, the fellowship of his sufferings. You know, and we've been living in a time where, where around the world there's lots of churches, there's, there's lots of Christians that kind of preach a different gospel, a, a, a different Jesus. In a sense, they, they soft sell the Jesus message and, and kind of downplay the cost. It's only God has a wonderful plan for your life. He loves you, and it's all good. But Paul, on the other hand, became so consumed with Jesus that when he discovered suffering would actually draw him closer to Christ, he said, I'm willing to experience it because I want Jesus, and Jesus is worth it. You know, over the years, I, I've read different biographies of people who've suffered for the sake of Jesus. One was Bruce Olson, also known as Bruco. He was a, a global worker, a missionary, working in a remote tribal village in Colombia. And, and, and one day he was in a hut, and, and the people that he was trying to minister to were shooting arrows at him, if you can imagine. And Olson's there, he's thinking, God, you know, what am I doing here? I, I'm trying to love them, I'm trying to share your love with them, and they're trying to kill me. And he said, in that moment, he, he said... It's like, again, just breakthrough. He felt like Jesus was right there beside him, revealing the cross to him. Olson said he experienced the cross like never before, like there was an intimacy or a fellowship being shared with Jesus that could only come with suffering. Some of you might remember in 2007, the Korean missions group, a short-term missions group, sent out from their church about 24 of them uh, were, were abducted by the Taliban in 2007. 
And these Korean believers were, were being taken from their cells, cells and being killed one by one. And, and the rest were eventually rescued and, and brought back to Korea. It's, it's interesting, though. The pastor reported that since they returned, all the people who'd been imprisoned had come to him one by one and said some version of, don't you wish we're still imprisoned by the Taliban? They wanted to go back because they'd, they'd been so close to Jesus. Each person said, I wish I was still in that cell, guarded by the Taliban because I was so close to Jesus, and that's so better than all this other stuff. It's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you, do you remember them back in Daniel? They, they wouldn't bow to, to the pagan idols, so they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Do you, you remember what happened next? The guards that threw them in said, wait a second, we threw in three. Why are there four people in there? Because there was a, a fellowship with God that was taking place in the fiery furnace in the midst of suffering. I, I think one of the dominant messages of our culture is to a, avoid suffering at, at all costs. Some of us have kind of adopted that mantra for our lives. We live by it. Uh, Pastor uh, Benjamin Wendell recently made this observation that in our culture, that we don't even have a vocabulary for pain. But, but the truth is, we need the kind of faith that, that stretches us into the shadows to include pain and suffering and hardship. Because we're not going to experience the, the kind of fellowship with, with God outside of experiencing some of the, the sufferings of Christ. Eugene Peterson, one of my mentors, he put it this way. He says, any hurt is worth it if it puts us on the path of peace. And so those of us who want Jesus bad enough, we can actually pray to God saying, God, I'm open to that kind of suffering. I am. I found in Christ something so great that if getting more of Jesus means sharing in his sufferings, I... I'm open to that because Christ is better than all that other stuff. And I, I want to close in prayer. We, we need to be kind of just honest with God. It's not like we can trick him, you know. <laughs> it's better to be real with him. You know, like, God, I, I, I like Jesus. I want more of Jesus, but not to the point of suffering. You can actually tell him that, that you believe that. T tell him that's not your heart right now, but, but that you'd like to be consumed with Jesus. Just be open. And maybe this morning, as, as we asked those, those questions earlier about what you value most, maybe you, you, you got an inkling of, of what that might be. And, and actually, what, what suffering with Christ would look for you is for that thing to come off the throne of your life. That thing that you dream about. Or, or maybe to do with your money. It could be something you're afraid of losing. Paul got to the place where he could call everything else in his life rubbish, garbage, compared to knowing Jesus. Because he believed and preached, and I've come to believe too, that Jesus is that much better. Years ago when, when God revealed to me my sons were kind of an ultimate value to me, in a moment I prayed and, and gave my sons to God. I kind of laid them on the altar, if you want to say that. And, and the biggest surprise for me was I sensed God doing something right. I felt more whole. And God is still in this work of dethroning idols in my life. 
uh, I think Tim Keller says, we are idol-making machines. And this stubborn guy that I am, I, I believe more and more that knowing Jesus is, is greater, is better, it's best. So why don't we just take a few moments to pray quietly and, and just be honest with Jesus. You might, you know, pray a prayer, Jesus, I want you, help me to want you more. You might pray, remove every idol, every distraction so that I might have everything of Jesus. Just let's take a few moments to pray. Paul talked about the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. And I wonder, uh, some of us may have said we believed that all our lives, but have we really? It's a challenging word, but I, I think God wants to realign us. He wants to make us whole today. And so as you feel God putting his fingers on things, you can just be open with him and confess and, and actually say, God, I want to I put that in the right place and proper perspective. It's become a disordered love for me. I want my life to be orientated towards you. Help me to do that. God will give us grace as we do, do that. We're going to sing just, again, so appropriately this song, I Want to Know You, and why don't you make this part of your prayer? Let's sing. Let's sing.